and welcome to the JVC DC podcast. Brought to you from the Ramos House Basement Bathroom. My name is Tim Dodds, and I am here with my friend, my colleague, and my fellow housemate, Susan Leffelholtz. How are you? Bonjour, Tim. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to the first podcast. <laughs> Woohoo! It's the first one. First episode. So I kind of wanted to talk about what we were going to do with the podcast first. Yes. And then we'll transition to um, some of your own stories and your story as well. Why, thank you, Tim. I'm hoping that each of us can kind of talk about who we are, our story, and then other stories that we've seen um, at our placements throughout the year. And I thought you'd be the best person to have on first. Don't tell the rest of the housemates. You know, we'll keep that just a little secret. Something that no one else will ever know. (laughs) Exactly. This isn't on the air. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about your story a little bit so that stories that you tell make a little bit more sense. Okay. You are originally from? I am from a small place called Willoughby, Ohio. It's about 25 minutes outside of Cleveland. Cleveland! It's a suburb. There are no sidewalks. And um, <laughs> I also can't drive. So what does that make for? A lot of times sitting really? at home. Uh-huh. There are no sidewalks and I cannot drive. <laughs> Wait, like you haven't got a I've driver's got a, license? I've got a driver's license mostly because it allows me to get into bars. Uh, true. Wait, wait, it allows you to get it into It allows cars? me to get into... <laughs> no, bars, not cars. Oh, bars. I thought, wow, Cleveland. Yes. They just check everyone's ID before anyone gets into a car. So with the promise of whiskey ahead of me, I got into a car just enough to take the driving test, panicked, got out of the car, and um, I never drive. That's why I ended up in D.C., because it's an urban area and I can take the bus. Oh, Okay, I didn't know that. Last night I had a dream that I uh, was on a motorbike. This was my motorbike. A motorbike. Yes, very similar to... Do you need a separate ID to ride on a motorbike? I actually think that you do. I knew somebody who rode a motorbike and she had to get a license for it. Huh. Didn't know that. Similar to the dream that I had the night before in which I was flying, I had this motorbike but I couldn't steer. Ooh. And so I was like trying to find you guys but I couldn't... I couldn't steer. But you weren't on the streets of Cleveland? I was not on the streets of Cleveland. I was Hmm. inside of a building. Trying to get Ins- to, yes. What, riding a motorcycle riding inside a building. Riding a motorcycle inside a building, and I really <laughs> wanted my coffee, but I couldn't get it. <laughs> oh my gosh, sounds like a nightmare. It was. I didn't know, that, I thought you were from Cleveland. No, I'm Is not Is it from... like a p- outside part of Cleveland? Okay, so basically there's Cleveland. Okay, and all right. There's, in all of its majesty. In all of its majesty and glory. My supervisor, his name is Ray, he's from California, he lives oh. in D.C., he's seen everything, he's a yeah. massive, like... Hugely into, I say, I figure if I say somebody's a massive foodie, you'd like picture something. Just, he just loves food. Okay. Right. So we went to this Italian restaurant and he was like, you know what? We're going to get you guys octopus. And it still had its little pinchers on it or suckers or whatever. Pinchers. (laughs) It was actually a scorpion cross with an octopus. It was a freaking squid monster. (laughs) No. So octopus. Yeah. So octopus. And then Ray was like, ah, Cleveland. I love Cleveland. It's like one of my top 10 cities that I wanted to go to. He Who said, doesn't love Cleveland? people have told me all the time to go to Cleveland. And I'm like, you know why people tell you to go to Cleveland? Because we're defending it. Because sometimes you say Cleveland and the person you're talking to goes, man, mistake on the lake. And you gotta, you gotta just have something right there to get back at them with. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Underrated city. It is. It really Under, is. Only underrated because so many people think it's so... Far down yeah. the 
city ratings. But that... we're, I, we're actually really quite excellent. Nice, nice. Yeah, nice. my my high school was tiny, um, but yeah. it was also about a third of it was international. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know why people living in the metropolitan like majesty of China would say, take this out because it's not going to sound so good, <laughs> would say, I want to go to this little town called Willoughby, Ohio, but they do. So about a third of my, a third of my, um, class was international. That's pretty cool. How big was the school? Tiny. There were 400, K to okay. 12. Private? Private. Graduated okay. out of a class of 60. There wow. were 12 people at my prom. That is crazy. So... High school, what were some of your main activities in high school? I was on the swim team. Okay. And I really did enjoy swimming. I wasn't super good at it, but that was kind of part of the enjoyment of it, was just being able to hang out and do what we did Mm -hmm. and be this team of maybe 10 people who were swimming. 10 people. We were swimming in this little pool, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I also, so when I was applying to college, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a science major. I'm going to do chemistry. I might even do physics. And then I'm putting down what I'm, you know, have done in high school. And it's like literary club did this internship at the poetry house, won this award for poetry, enjoys writing, Mm. best subject English. Mm. And you ended up. And I ended up doing chemistry for a year and a half. And okay. then switching to English. Okay. I was also chemistry. Ooh. It was cool. Just wasn't totally... Um, what took you to philosophy? Out oh, my gosh. That is a long... I might need a whole podcast for that one. The tables have turned. Now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> um, no, I also I also started off in physics and chem. Um, I realized that there were much smarter people in physics specifically yes. than I was. I thought it was so cool, but I looked like, I was just like a kid in a candy store. I was just like, wow, all this stuff is so cool and I know nothing about it. Um, so I kind of came to my senses a little bit, or I think other people came to my senses for me Yes. and kind of said like, Hey, you should probably get out of this. So I eventually got out of it. Um, but my mom actually, I got into this honors program Ooh. going into University of Scranton. That's shenanzy. And my mom kind of forced me into it. And I did not want to do it whatsoever. But she kind of forced me into it. And then it was like introduction to philosophy. Uh-huh. And I absolutely loved it. Maybe because there wasn't a lot of homework. Mm-hmm. And it was more just like, let's just discuss and argue for 50 minutes a day. And we'll probably get nowhere, but it was awesome. So then that kind of, I just kind of got addicted from there. And as the philosopher Nietzsche once said, homework is trash. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Oh, what about going back to swimming team? Yeah, okay. Didn't you right. have a funny story about the swimming team? Well, the funny story about the swim team is that we had a like subset of the swim team that couldn't swim. Yes, this is what you were because, telling me earlier. Because yes. our swim coach was our Spanish teacher and sports were mandatory. This is what happens when you're at a small private school in the middle of nowhere that's trying to make a name for itself. Sports <laughs> become mandatory. And I had been on a swim team before. So people like looked at me as though I knew what I was doing, even though in the world of swimming outside of our school, I had no clue what I was doing. Mm. People were like, oh, wow, that's Susie. She knows what's she knows what's going on here because I had like been to a swim meet before. And so our swim coach was also our Spanish teacher, and he was this super nice, like, zany, quirky guy. Absolutely loved him. 
And his Spanish classes, while they challenged us, were also a lot of fun. So people thought that swim team was going to be easy. And then they would join the swim team without knowing how to swim because they thought that it was going to be, you know, just like a nice gig because they got along mm-hmm. with our teacher slash coach. Um, but that that didn't mean that they... It didn't, it didn't happen. It didn't and happen it, wasn't, it wasn't just like, you know, they've got no experience in the sport. It was like literally cannot swim. <laughs> <laughs> like did, they, did they just dive? Oh, I don't even want to use the word dive. They probably just cannonballed and just jumped in. Yeah, it was it was a cannonball situation. Did, we have to use, did you have to use floaties? It wasn't floaties so much as it was kickboards, which is like uh, kind of the professional equivalent yeah, of a floaty. True. Those are kind of like, that's a little cheating, to be honest. All you swimmers out there. We are. Um, so then college comes around. College comes around. And you went to Notre Dame. And I went to Notre Dame. I a didn't, small college small, in South Bend, Indiana. No one's ever heard of it. I uh, wanted very badly to go to Cornell. Cornell waitlisted me, and I see that as Providence because I would not have been happy up there with the mountains and the snow. <laughs> with the mountains and those ice people. Are they, <laughs> are they, Cornell's in New York? Cornell's in New York. Okay. Do you remember what town? I heard someone Ithaca. else. Okay. Just like Odysseus. Oh, yeah. Someone else said something about Cornell, that it's in the middle of nowhere. So we're probably shunning all those um, listeners who are thinking about going to Cornell or at Cornell right now. Mm -hmm. But I also heard it's kind of like in the middle of nowhere and there's not much to do, too. There's nothing to do in South. Do you think there's things to do in South Bend? I've never been to South Bend. Are there not? Is it just like Cleveland? And it's a it's a small city. Okay. it's a small city. Um. The main attraction, I'm going to put it this way. The main attraction in South Bend is Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. That's how Scranton is exactly. Scranton's yeah. slowly taking over the entire city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you came in as a chemistry and physics major. I came in as a chemistry and physics major. I had been in choir in high school, and it was this very serious. If you know me, I've told this story to you before because I tell this story to everyone. I had been in this very serious classical choir in high school. It was great, but I wanted to change. And I found this thing called the folk choir. And I thought, hey, folk music. It was like Bon Iver and... Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I thought that it, there was going to be some, like, banjo okay. banjo stuff okay. going on. Like, yeah. And uh, that wasn't... It, it turned out it was a church choir. And we were singing mass every Sunday. Mm. And it was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And so from there, um, is Um, that where most of your friend group and influences in college came from? That is where a lot of my friend group came from. Everybody Uh in this choir was just some of the nicest and most welcoming people that I had ever met. And we really, the connections that we made there, especially once we started traveling, going on tours together and such, were so profound and some of us had a lot in common and some of us had nothing in common and it was just it was just great the other group of friends that I had in college was my roommates mm-hmm. um most of whom were engineers and we lived in these these big spaces meant for six people um in our dorm there were six of us that would live together and yeah we had a lot of fun too like sharing a common room and bathrooms and all that stuff yeah, we like shared a typical suite. Yeah, we shared a big common room, and then we would have three and three on each end. Okay. 
Um, do you like that living style? I really did. I like living in community because it makes me, I'm a hermit. like of my own accord I'm a hermit so when I have people around me that I really like that I'm invested in them not thinking that I'm a hermit I find myself like much more mentally healthy before I recorded this podcast, I had to come find you upstairs because I didn't know where you were and that's where I was, I was upstairs I was starting to make this excellent Mobius glove is that going to be, currently Susie is knitting while we're uh taping this podcast is that going to be a a glove or just a circle of yarn it is a circle of yarn that will hopefully end up having a thumb hole and then another (laughs) hole for my other fingers (laughs) but i think i got twisted at some point oh oh yeah it's the mobius glove (laughs) all right back to notre dame though yes so when did you make the switch from physics chemistry to what ended up being your major? English and theology. English and theology. How did how did that switch come about? When did you take gen ed classes and um, find the theology major and, and teachers through that and the influence? You said earlier that you were into poetry in high school, so that seems like it kind of followed from your interest in high school that you, know, you mm-hmm. became a literature major. But the de- detail-wise, how did that come about? So I was getting more and more into chemistry and more and more I was starting to step away from theory and have to do lab work. I don't really like lab work. I like cooking. I like baking. I figured it would just be very similar. It was not similar. There's a lot more precision that goes into it and I don't have very steady hands. So I would just like stand there and you know it would smell weird and I was like breaking stuff and it began to dawn on me that doing your job isn't always fun, but the level of not fun for me that this was, was too high. Walking into lab, oh, we're making sulfuric acid and not cookies today? (laughs) Yeah, basically. What the heck? Yeah, pretty much. I I also thought that somehow, like, chemistry was going to unlock for me the secrets of the universe. Mm, Okay, I can see that a little bit. In the same... I was similar. I was very similar. In the same way that, like theology allows you to think about what truth is and what the world consists of and what's really going on out there. Chemistry, there's just a lot more equations involved. There's not as much mobility in Mm -hmm. terms of... uh, There's definitely inspiration needed. I don't think this is a a controversial thing. Not controversial, that's not the right word. But hot take that imagination is not as... um, Prevalent, there's the right word, <laughs> prevalent in the sciences. I think it's a very different kind of imagination I was than one say. of theology, philosophy, and more of the arts. And there's not as much mobility, I'd say. There's more like higher thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, but I, I, can, I can see that. I would say that there is a lot of imagination needed in things like chemistry and physics. Mm-hmm. It's... And it's a certain kind of imagination that allows you to solve the problems that you're presented with in those fields. And that's definitely an imagination that I found myself increasingly not having as I was advancing. Yeah. In philosophy, I've my I realized that I thought I always had abstract thinking or abilities to abstract think or abilities to think abstractly. Mm -hmm. But I realized that in chemistry, you know, even when you're doing, say, Lewis dot structures or how to combine certain molecules through bonds that you're 
your abstract thinking has to be more through like location and shape and other geometric abstractions where philosophy is more like abstractions through words and that other kind of creation. I don't know if that makes sense, but what else happened on that journey? Um, So yeah, I didn't have that imagination necessarily. And meanwhile, I started to... So this is something to know about Notre Dame. Anybody who wants to get through the college has to take two theology and two philosophy courses, which within the school is a controversial thing. Really? Yes. People think that it takes up too much of their time. Mm. And I think for some folks, that's definitely the case. There are definitely people who just don't want it and they don't like it. Um, And maybe there are people for whom they know what they want and they know what they want to do. And so it should, that requirement should be lessened. Hmm. Um, For me, it was super useful because as I found myself taking, so slight digression, there's this vampire weekend song. It's called Yahe. And in the chorus, he says through the fire and through the flames, you won't even say your name. You'll only say I am that I am. Which of course, yeah, which is of course an allusion to Moses And The Burning Bush, I didn't get that. I loved that album, Modern Vampires of the City, in 11th and 12th grade. And then I was writing a paper for my first theology class about Moses and the Burning Bush and what all that could mean in the name of God. And it was such a beautiful thing. And then I was, not the paper, the story. I'm not that full of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Paper was fantastic. Everyone should check it out online. (laughs) Yeah. No, what I'm saying is, though... I was walking around and I'm like, you know what I should listen to is Vampire Weekend. And this song comes on and my mind just blows up. Was that the same album with A-Punk? Yes. No. no. Oh, no. was it? No. A-Punk was one of their first songs. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Carry on. But reading about God felt like drinking water after a really long time of not drinking water. Hmm. And I needed it. And I will always say this to people, the more that I was singing, the more I started believing what I was singing. Mm, Yeah, that's powerful. Um, And it wasn't that I felt like I didn't have structure in my life or that I didn't have any... I had never heard God being described as unconditional love before. That the thing that creates and rules the world is unconditional love. And once it was presented to me that way, because I had always thought of religion as rules. And when it was presented to me that God is this principle of unconditional love that creates and governs the world, that made sense. And I never wanted to walk away from it again. Mm. And so you took a theology class freshman year? And so I took a theology class freshman year. Um, And when did you seriously decide to... Put it as your major. When I decided to put English as my major. Okay. Because once I had left chemistry, it was open to me to do both. And most people don't major at Notre Dame in English or theology exclusively, but there are a lot of us that do English and theology combined. Interesting. So at what point, then moving a little bit down, uh, down along your journey, at what point did you decide to possibly do a year of service and what was going through your head, say junior, senior year, um, with life after college. 
So when I was a junior, I always thought that I was going to be an academic. Okay. Yeah, I, I was the same way. Yeah. I was like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to hang out in this ivory tower and I'm never going <laughs> to leave it. Like the coffee is flowing abundantly. I don't have to do anything that I don't like. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to be an academic. And then my um, thesis that I wrote was about Thomas Merton and Laudato C and a whole bunch of other things. I privately don't think that my thesis was very good, but my thesis advisor thought that it was fine. And I think that's what counts. Um, and so I'm running around and I'm like reading Thomas Merton, who's like, you should serve the poor. And then I'm reading this guy called Orestes Brownson, who I have a lot of thoughts about. And if that's a whole nother topic, but he's like, yeah, the system of like, our economy is a complete mess. And then I'm reading Laudato Si, which is about environmental justice. And then somebody tells me that I can go and get a master's in divinity and study theology and actually make a career out of doing theology and ministry. And then I apply to Boston College. I get into Boston College, but they say to me, you got to take a year off. Oh, and so this so was senior year where? This was senior year where I decided to do JV. But Boston College said you had to do this before. Huh, I did not know that. Right, so Boston College said I applied to Notre Dame and I had to, um, basically Notre Dame contacted me about three weeks after I sent my application in and said, look, we get it, but at some point you will not learn anything if you don't leave Notre Dame. Which I needed to hear. I think, yeah, I think that's... I, like, could not be luckier than I was when they said that to me. Yeah. And it's easy. I'm surprised they did that because they would be essentially pulling in more money for themselves, right? No, actually. I'm at Notre Dame doesn't cost anything. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> they, I wouldn't have... I, All right, never mind, Notre Dame. Money. You don't get any compliments here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't know that. But I I still think that's... that's. It was it was very noble of them because... yeah. It's, it's like, basically they were saying, you're a very good candidate here, but this wouldn't be good for you. Hmm. BC will be a different environment for and sure. BC is a very different environment. Hopefully I'm going to be an RA, fingers crossed. If you're on the RA committee at BC <laughs> and Listen you're listening to this. To and this, accept Susan Leffelholtz. Please accept me. I want... One of the greatest last names of all time. It means wooden spoon in German, according mm. to one of my theology professors. Inspires confidence. And also my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I stir soup. So you get told you have to do a year of service. Uh-huh. So I try to do this thing through Notre Dame called House of Bridget. And I still am not getting the message that I need to leave the bubble of Notre mm. Dame. So I apply to House of Bridget, which is basically teaching at a grade school in Ireland. Um, That's awesome. I know. Why, I love but that would Ireland. be not in Notre Dame. No, but it's through Notre Dame. Yeah, but you're not okay. But you're not in Notre Dame though. You're in Ireland. I'm not technically at Notre Dame, but it's still it's still like funded and supported and all this by people from Notre Dame. Okay, fair. Um and so once again Notre Dame says to me, "Listen, <laughs> you need Who is to leave <laughs> for your own good." Um and JVC which I applied to because I'm lazy. I actually wasn't lazy. I was just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Senior year of college. It's an overwhelming time. I work with some seniors at my work now. And I'm like, look, y'all, it's an overwhelming time and you're going to get through it. So I applied to JVC and I'm like ticking off the boxes because you don't get to look at the jobs anymore. You mm -hmm. just 
you know, you tick off the boxes that are like, what are you interested in? Yeah, let's mm-hmm. let's go through that process just so for anyone listening. So you apply, and there are many short answers at first, right, that you have to um, fill out. Yes. Like, do you get along with fellow humans? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, are you a serial killer? And if the answer is no, automatically accepted. Um, no, but it's more, there are more questions. Yes, they are personal um you know, what you prefer in living situations. Mm-hmm. But I thought there were also more questions on how do you deal with simple living? How do you deal with other tenets and values of JVC in your regular day life? And, um, you know, how could you see yourself living in a community and volunteering if you went into JVC? Now, a second part that you brought up is then when you are getting matched up with certain placements to volunteer through JVC, you get to check through a bunch of boxes on what kind of work you'd prefer to do. So that way you're not stuck with a random job, um, not random, but a job that may not fit your skill set or you don't want. I mean, that doesn't always happen. Some people get jobs that they don't want, um, which can be blessings in disguise for anyone listening. But... If you are interested in a specific industry or area that is currently being affected through different reasons, then you can also choose or you can choose to work in that or you'll be pushed into that area. Is that a fair description? Yes. Okay. So you're checking, you're going through your own application. Right. And I'm checking boxes and one of the boxes that I check is hunger and homelessness. Mm -hmm. Because it's such a basic right. Like the right to shelter and food. It's so, like, I cannot get over the fact that we live in such an advanced society and there are people out there still who can't find somewhere to live. So you checked off? Oh, no. I also put, like, um, you know, religious education. Working with kids. I was wondering if you checked education just because of your background and wanting to be possibly a faculty or uh, academic. I'm very interested in education, which is actually what led JVC Northwest to offer me a job at a grade school. Really? You applied to JVC Northwest as well? Yes. I had no idea where it was going to take me, so I figured I should apply to like a whole bunch of places to make sure that I had that net build. Um, Yeah, Northwest offered me a job at a grade school, which... I probably could have done, mm-hmm. but I went through teaching. Little kids don't make any sense to me. Like, they have this whole world around them that I just don't get. And so I thought working with college students would be a much better fit. Did they have placements working with college students? Um, no, they didn't. Oh. Or maybe they did. I don't actually know. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just a whole, there's a whole lot of things that I could have ended up doing that I didn't end up doing. Okay, so then you got... Um, what was the next step? You got, did you got, did, were, were you offered multiple placements or was Georgetown your first? Georgetown was the first placement that I was offered. So okay. they called me up and they were like, so it seems like that you have a wide range of interests. And I said, I do. And I remember where I was standing. I was standing on the stairs Aww. to, because this is the window cell that I would always sit in. And it was between the bottom of the building where I tutored and the top of the same building where I had choir practice. And also where I worked organizing music in the choir library and dancing to the music on my iPod, which I have a feeling the head of the little campus ministry music department definitely saw me doing many, many times. <laughs> um, and they were like, 
well, we're going to offer you this job and it's with Georgetown University. And I said, oh, wow, DC, I'll take it. Um, but then, of course, Georgetown and I had to make sure that we got along, which we did happily. And now I'm here. And so what are you doing exactly at Georgetown? What am I doing exactly at Georgetown? A quick rundown, yes. and then we'll get to a story. We still haven't gotten to a story. But. No, so uh, well, the way that I like to describe my job is that I don't really have one job. I have a third of three different jobs. Mm-hmm. I work with Georgetown Center for Social Justice, which is a whole range of programs that goes out into the community and tries to put into practice the values of service and solidarity with the community because Georgetown is a place of massive advantage If you're at Georgetown, um, you have access to a whole lot of things. You know, the D.C. community has a huge wealth gap. So I think the CSJ does a lot of really good work in that they're connecting students who have a lot of privilege um, to folks in the community who don't necessarily have access to the same resources. I also work with campus ministry, which is really, really cool because campus ministry is multi-faith. And they are dedicated to multi-faith engagement in a way that I really, I'm really interested in interfaith dialogue and engagement. And campus ministry is just like a whole garden of that all the time. Mm. And I just love it. I get to learn so much. I remember when we visited Georgetown because um, during our first week in D.C., all the volunteers get to visit each other's placements. So when we went to Georgetown, I thought it was really cool. Um, visiting the rabbi on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who who all do you have. You have we have, um, yeah, rabbis Rachel and Ben. Yeah, and then we have um, Imam Hendi. Yeah, Imam. And one of my most beautiful moments at Georgetown probably was when mm-hmm. a couple of us went to the Diwali celebration hosted yeah. by Brahmachari in campus ministry, and it was just. Like, I didn't really know what was going on any further than what he explained because I, it's not my tradition and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but being, th- just the privilege of being there and the fact that it was open to everyone and almost all of the folks who were engaged with campus ministry and, you know, faculty and people who work there were there. And sharing that was really, it was just, super cool hmm. I remember you talking about that mm-hmm. so I'm working in multi, uh, multiple departments yep I also work with Georgetown Ministry Center okay which is a day space um, for folks experiencing homelessness in the Georgetown community I also work very like tangentially with the Father McKenna Center bringing students from the campus ministry chaplaincies there in order to volunteer okay and surprise Another member of our house, Andrew, works at the Father McKenna Center. That he does. So sometimes you get to meet up with him. Mm-hmm. Makes the day a little bit better. Yes, it really does. I get to meet up with him, and then I usually go back to the kitchen, and I chop up whatever Russell tells me to chop up. <laughs> <laughs> After Andrew's manning the mm-hmm. the uh, soup kitchen. Yes, he does. Or not the soup kitchen, uh, the, the pantry. Yes, Andrew manning the food pantry. Yes, man's it like a champ. Um... So that's more of what your role or your uh, your space at Georgetown is like. Mm-hmm. And then your roles at each department, I'm guessing, are very different. And you probably wear multiple hats. I do wear multiple hats. Um, 
I wear the hat of volunteer at Georgetown it's Ministry. A good hat. I like that hat. Oftentimes, yeah, it's a it's a pretty fashionable one. Yeah, it fits comfortably on your head. I think so too. Yeah, stands out as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm volunteer coordinator with CSJ and with Campus Ministry, so I am recruiting people. I'm making sure that we have all of the shifts at Georgetown Ministry staffed. And then I'm making sure that students know what they're supposed to be doing, are getting to where they're supposed to be going. And then um, me and a couple of other students host reflections to make sure that, um, you know, we're all getting out of it. Because reflection is not just for them. Reflection is a whole lot for me, too. Making sure that we're sharing what we're learning and that we are, you know, thinking about what we're doing and thinking about how we're not just people for others, we're people with others. And I, th- I think your placement's cool because... Uh, it's very different than um, maybe a traditional volunteer placement. It, or at least it, it could be what I thought of volunteering before I got to know JVC. But my placement is very similar to yours. I work at mm-hmm. Don Bosco Cristo Ray High School in Tacoma Park, Maryland. It's a high school for economically disadvantageous students. But I would have never thought that I could work at a high school. Or, I mean, you're working at a, a prestigious university. And I thought more of the volunteer experiences. There's for sure experiences like, say, Andrew's that's working at a soup kitchen. MK, Mary Catherine, is working at Miriam's Kitchen, which is also a soup kitchen, right? Um, it's a place where folks can get meals, can also get support with um, any documentation. Okay, so there's multi, multiple facets. Okay, facets to it. Okay. Case management. But... I just, I kind of, I, I think your placement and my placement are very similar. Mm-hmm. And although it's not a traditional volunteer placement, I still think it's really cool how there are little niches where a volunteer can be extremely useful, but I wouldn't have thought about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I never really thought that a place like CSJ would need me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the program that I'm doing is small enough that. It couldn't really be considered a full-time position, which means that I have time to go and actually be a volunteer, um, which I feel like is good because I feel like I can engage with students more over the fact that they're volunteering if I'm doing it as well. Mm. Um, One of the other big things that I do is coordinating the HOT team, which is hypothermia outreach. So anybody who is at risk of hypothermia who might be staying outside for one reason or another, we try to make sure that um, they have the supplies and the shelter um, that they need to get through the night. Mm. So that happens during the winter, and uh-huh. especially weeks like this one where it's snowing and it's windy. Um, first snowfall in D.C. First snowfall in D.C. I really thought that the buses were going to shut down. They are still going. They are, I know. The roads are pretty bad. I know. Also, we got a snow day tomorrow, so I'm actually pumped. Oh, that's awesome. I they wonder if I will, it. too. Oh, yeah, you might. I know, I know. Um, uh, Prince George's County in, in Maryland is off, and that's usually the schedule that we follow. But I wonder... Yeah, you should check. If the bus isn't working, I'm not working. I'm actually am working <laughs> um, because it's the season of the hiring calendar, and that means that I have to reach out to students and say, hey, can you still take this job that you signed up for? Um, and then sometimes they say yes, and I'm very happy. And then sometimes they say no, and I have to go to the next person on my list and mm. say, hey, you signed up for this job. Can you still take it? Okay, so one of the main parts that I wanted to do with this is a story mm-hmm. from your experience so far. Mm-hmm. You work with students, as you said. I do. You also get to work with um, 
homeless populations. Yes. Or po- the homeless population um, at Georgetown and at, at Andrew's placement, Father McKenna Center, right? Yes, I do. So what has been one of the most memorable moments of your service so far? What story has stuck with you? Or what, what other person's story has stuck with you? Um, I think one thing to preface this with is that Georgetown is a place of many, many different things. And shorthand, I think I can say our ministry center is next to a church and it's across from a soul cycle. What's a soul cycle? Soul cycle is this really, it's like bougie level spinning. It's like. Oh, I thought it was like a. When you said church first, I thought it was going to be another religious no, like, so, organization. No, oh my goodness, <laughs> but, no. Okay, yeah, so I, I know what you're talking about. Soul Cycle is like this this exercise class. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's spinning. It's Spin spinning, class. but yeah, it's yeah. it's really expensive. Side note, oh, okay. my mom teaches spinning. She loves it. She's really good at it. And yeah. it's just like a very like, spinning is for everyone. Yeah. Soul Cycle. Oh, uh, Okay. Is Perhaps is is not for everyone. A top tier economic. Yes. Okay. yes. <laughs> and another side note, my athletic director, my athletic director, the athletic director at my high school, I found out in like senior year of high school that he was doing spinning. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought spinning was like knitting, like spinning like a threat. Oh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It took me and probably until like sophomore year of college to learn that spinning. So like spinning was not that. And I whenever like... <laughs> Uh, this guy was big. He was jacked. That is and absolutely so when he said that he was hilarious. Taking, when he was taking spinning class, I was like, wow. Like, all right, dude, props, I guess. Like, I would probably never learn knitting or anything like that. But all right, so that was a side note. Um, so, yes, in between Soul Cycle and a church. Yeah. Um, and that's, I feel like that gives you a nice picture of what Georgetown is like. I walked into a store and I was like, oh, wow, this is a really cute purse. And then it was like $300. And I said to myself, what? Um, so there's our hundred dollar budget. Exactly. So <laughs> three months from now I can get this. <laughs> there's a lot of money in Georgetown. And then we also, we serve the folks that we serve. Um, and so we have a woman who lives. I actually don't know where she lives. I haven't asked because I didn't really know how to ask, but she gets donations from various places in the area that sell like organic food and such things that they can't sell. They give to her. And then she makes meals out of them three days a week. She has this industrial sized kitchen and, um, she gets a ton of beef. So she makes beef stew and it's this amazing, it's just really excellent stuff. Hmm. Um, and she's just, she's there all the time making beef stew for people and everybody really appreciates it. A lot and people will come in for lunch and then they leave again and it's just so i don't know where does she work again she's part of georgetown but no i actually think she's retired if she wasn't oh. retired i don't know where she finds the time huh and where is she posted up again where's her i don't know i don't know where her like home base is but she um comes to georgetown ministry three days a week and she like hand makes these amazing wow. meals Three days a week. Um, so that's just sort of a kind of a side note about the people who serve with us, mm-hmm. which I think just kind of shows. Dedication. Dedication. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of dedication. Um, yeah. Georgetown Ministry Center is a very small place. We have like two rooms and 
that's like that's the space that we have. It started as a street outreach program. Mm -hmm. So just walking routes in Georgetown to see who needed what. Um, We go out sometimes still with a doctor or a psychiatrist to make sure that things work the way that they're supposed to work. Um, and just, it's always, it's always something different. We're always doing something different. Um, and so thinking about all of the, the stories that I have, I'm trying to think of one that is sensitive because I'm always, I'm always trying to talk with some humor and I No, we can, but it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't always, I shouldn't say anything. It it can be. All right. So you know It can be any story. I know we're trying to feel out the podcast. A little bit, but I think I think funny stories are good. I like I I'm a big fan of humor. All right, but I think sad is not the right word, but um, a real life story. All I, right, I like those. All right, so there's this guy, and I'm gonna call him John. Um, and so great name. It, right, it's such a great name. I'll try and put in humor sprinkle, but actually no, never mind. Good, never mind. I'll cut that part out. <laughs> Okay, so you know how I'm going to Boston next year. Mm-hmm. And so I'm telling John about how I'm going to Boston next year because he's asking me, what do I do? What am I interested in? What's what's my life? Which my job is supposed to partly be listening to other people's life stories, but he's asking me about my life story because that's who he is as a person in part. Um, he also is really good friends with the lady who makes the beef stew. I don't know if really good friends is the right way to say it, but he thinks she's really cool. Okay. We all think she's really cool, but he expresses it. Um, and so I say, you know, yeah, like Boston, it's going to be hard to find a place to live. And so this is where I start getting his story of what he does in his life. And he's like, you know, what you got to do is just live in a van. You just got to find a van and just, you know, you got to get your setup and you got to live in this van. The most important thing about living in a van is that the cops can't catch you they can't know that you're sleeping out there because for some reason driving around all night and being awake for it would be fine but sleeping while you are in a vehicle is not permitted i don't know why the law says this but the law says this and he said that he went got by in new york for like two or three years this way once um because he just has this whole you know get a get a heater get something that you can kind of take outside of your van and cook on it and drive around but the cool thing about john is that he doesn't just live in a van for himself he also lives in a van for others no (laughs) um and his whole idea so we have something in the district called the winter plan which is how we're going to get through the winter his winter plan john's winter plan is to get a whole fleet of vans get some like heat giving space in mm-hmm. there and just get people to hang out in there like interesting idea make warming stations in a fleet of old buses and get everybody together and start letting them stay in vehicles he was also telling me about how he lived in the woods with some friends for a while and they had a whole setup it was like during the summer so they could do that and he had his van and they had some tents and they would like project movies onto the side of the van pretty, while they were living in the woods pretty creative it's very creative, right? And then the cops... Is he kind of like a hippie kind of guy? Um, well, this is the other part of the story. Okay, so all right, sorry, sorry. John has this friend who I'm going to call Bob. Good. <laughs> um, right. One syllable <laughs> One syllable names. So Bob, I am always concerned about Bob because Bob isn't 
very mobile, but he carries all of his possessions around with him and he has a significant amount of stuff, which concerns me because I don't want him to be in danger. Mm -hmm. And he's made it for this long, so he's got to be a capable and competent person, but he has trouble walking and I'm very concerned about him. But Bob is a man of many opinions. Like, this guy has a lot of thoughts. And John is always trying to help Bob to be more mobile. And Bob is always telling John that he's an underachiever, that he doesn't know what he's doing. That if he just, and I quote, (laughs) if he just, and I quote, sandblasted the eight layers of paint off of his car, sold his car, and then used the money to find himself an apartment and a job, he would be fine. Okay, Bob. The first time that John tried to give Bob a ride from Miriam's kitchen to Georgetown Ministry Center, Bob thought that he was being kidnapped. (laughs) Wait, does Bob totally not get what's going on all the time? Oh, no. Bob is very alert. Bob is very aware. Um, But his voice is extremely quiet. Okay. So when he's talking to you, it's a little bit difficult to know what he's saying. And... I think that John just took it for granted that Bob knew who he was because he's kind of like, he's a fairy man. He takes people places. And so I think, I think Bob tried to call the police. (laughs) (laughs) Did they arrive? No, they didn't. I don't think that he ever actually, you know, was able to do it before he figured out what was actually happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And John will say, you know, oh, Bob over there, 008, following me around, making sure the government's checking up on me because Bob's always trying to tell him what to do. How does Bob follow John if Bob's not that mobile? (laughs) No, it's because John is constantly trying to help him. So they they both are trying to kind of help each other with their their issues. But Bob's perception of John's issues is that, you know, He could do all these things if he just put his mind to it. (laughs) Um, And right now, Bob has sailed for warmer weather. Um, Sailed? Well, he hasn't actually sailed. He just... I was going to say, Bob's having trouble getting around, but he also owns a yacht. (laughs) Yeah. No, um, they they went to California. No way. Mm -hmm, Really? mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. That's the thing about when you've got a car and you're not really... You know, you're just doing what you're doing. I gotta put in here. I have to. I can't. I have to put in the Matt Foley voice. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever you start, you told this story at dinner once when we were having. I know. I told dinner, this story at dinner. And I immediately thought of Chris Farley's character on SNL, um, Matt Foley. I think his name. Oh, is. Oh yes. Motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. My name is Matt Foley, and I'm a motivational speaker. And currently, I'm living in a van. Down by the river. So that's my that's my Chris Farley voice. I think it's kind of it's, it's almost there. I think it's very there. You practiced it enough. Yeah, I'm, I'll just shout this randomly throughout the house. Do you ever? I, I always wonder if the rest of the housemates ever wonder sometimes like what the noises are coming out of my mouth. But I feel like at this point, you guys are pretty much like if you guys hear any weird noise or any voices, you guys are like, nah, it's Tim. Post day one, when you played Peace Train four times, mm. I've come to assume. <laughs> Just a little context. First day here, we have a record, uh, a record player in our living room, and I thought it would be a fantastic idea 
to play one song on one album out of the many that we have over and over and over until the rest of the housemates actually got a little upset and were saying, please turn this off. I was only upset because the rest of that record is also excellent. Fair point. And I wanted to hear the rest of it. And which at the time, I then proceeded to keep playing Peace Train. So we got off on a great foot. And our Wi-Fi password is now named Peace Train. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're ever here and you want to connect to our Wi-Fi, now you know. Don't know the pa- Oh, that's our password. That's not our Wi-Fi. Oh, shoot. No, our Wi-Fi is Jezulit. We can't broadcast. Okay, whatever. Getting Jezulit. All right, so... Oh, that's not even a good Chris Farley voice. So, Susie. Yee. First episode in the book. I think that's just how we have to end it right there. Uh, you know, it just the yee dinosaur, always a winner. Susan. Same moi. It's been a pleasure. Same to you, Timothy. Same to you.